Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? Uh-huh, anyone sleeps when Mitchell's talking? All right, so we have a new series for you today that we're starting on the weapons of our warfare. But how many of you know, um, before humans existed, there was a war that began between good and evil? I see some of you looking at me like, what is he talking about? Lucifer rebelled against the creator God. He even convinced a third of the angels in heaven to rebel against God with him. The one who created him, he rebelled against. He wanted to change places with God. He wanted God's role. He wanted God's position. And in his pride, he thought that he was going to be able to overtake God. It didn't end so well for him. In fact, <laughs> um, well, let's, let's read Isaiah 14 first. And we'll talk about this a little. It says in verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning? You've been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one that shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Now, there's this account of Lucifer and his, his pride, and you've all heard messages on the I wills. And, you know, Lucifer, light bringer or light bearer, you know, got a name change in that, in that sequence there to Satan, slander, deceiver, right? And, and what happens is we got to understand something. When people see Satan, they're going to look at him and go, is this the, is he, is he, this is the one? This is the one that caused me to tremble and be, this, this guy? Really? Anyway, I want to pick up in Luke 10, because it's the same story, okay? Then he said to the disciples, Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. Anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. Well, that's pretty good wisdom for all of us. If you go out and share faith with someone and they reject you, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ. And if they reject Christ, they're rejecting the Father. You, You see how this works? We take it personal sometimes, like we did something. Now, we want to live a life of integrity and love that'll give people the best opportunity to receive the message of hope. We don't want to cause people to stumble. But then, here's one. When the 72 disciples return, how many? But wait, wasn't there only 12? There was another case he sent out, like, I think, like, 200, right? Like, there was lots of people that followed Christ. There was 12 that became his inner circle. And when things got really tough, it seemed like that group got smaller and smaller and smaller. It's kind of like that sometimes. But they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. 
So they were excited that they could cast out devils in the name of Jesus. How many of you are excited you can cast out devils in the name of Jesus? And then there's some of you that probably don't know what I'm talking about. But then I want you to catch this next line. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus is saying, boys, I was there that day when Lucifer decided to rebel. Shortest war history records. How long does it take lightning to get from sky to earth? That's how long the war lasted. Satan and Lucifer rebelled, boom. Down to earth. Jesus saw it. He was there. He was there that day when it all went down, when Lucifer and a third of the angels rebelled against God and were instantly cast down. But then Jesus makes this amazing statement. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. How much of the power of the enemy? And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But do not rejoice that evil spirits obey you, but rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Amen. So as Christians, we need to rejoice and be happy, be excited that we're, we're, we're citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. But this will be a little different than first service. But there's some people that misinterpret that verse that I just read to you, and they go and grab cobras. Okay. Oh, look, I can do this in God's name. Foolishness. Paul was gathering firewood and a poisonous snake attached itself to his hand. And he shook it off into the fire. He didn't go grab the poisonous snake. It found him quite by accident while he was gathering firewood. Do you see the difference? That's not my message today. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. Things didn't work out how Lucifer thought they were supposed to, how Satan thought they were supposed to, okay? The battle is still raging today. It's raging in the hearts and the minds of people that God created with free will or freedom to choose good and evil. God has empowered true believers with some weapons to fight our enemy, Satan, but Satan and his angels have been banished to the atmosphere around the earth. We know this, right? So when they fell out of heaven, they got cast in the atmosphere around the earth, the second heavens. We okay, all your theology, three heavens, the sky, the atmosphere around the earth, and then heaven, heaven. Okay. But this is how Satan most effectively convinces people to pursue their own lust and passions, right? When he does that, he creates evil. They ignore God's commands. They follow their own lust and passions. And then it allows evil to operate within the earth. You personally are going to win or lose this based on your thoughts, what you believe, what you focus on. You know, we're going to do some lessons on that as we go through this. But I want you to understand something at the very beginning. God has given you weapons with to fight the enemy. We need to use them. We have weapons. We have to learn how to use them. My intention is over the next few weeks to show you that God has given us some weapons so that we can fight. And I'm kind of rearranging some things in my head right now because I think that it flows better this way. There's people that view Jesus as a pacifist. They view him as weak, as a peacemaker. But when I read the account of 
Jesus in the Gospels, I get a very different picture. I mean, in one place, he makes a whip. He walks in, he throws over the tables, and he drives them all out. That's not a, that's not a pacifist. He went in there, and he went to war. And physically threw them out. That doesn't sound like he was a, oh, please leave. We'll come back and we'll talk about that some more because he confronted the religious leaders on multiple occasions, but I'll, I'll, I'll bring that in closer to the end. Now, while we're talking about weapons, I should probably throw this in. People, humans, are not your enemy. And some of you are going, wait a minute, yes they are. That guy's, that one, I have, en- they're not your enemy. Satan is our enemy. Now, sometimes he operates through people. You know those people when you feel your hand wanting to reach out and wrap itself around their neck? None of you ever do that, though. Apparently, first service is holier than me because they never feel like they want to do that. I don't understand. One guy said, I'll kill him and tell God he died. Our weapons are not natural weapons to be used in the natural realm. They're spiritual weapons in nature and in application. We have to understand we're threefold mind, body, spirit. So these weapons are spiritual weapons. You, as a Christian, a Christ follower, have more authority than you realize often. And when you're not exercising the authority that God has given you by using the weapons that he has given us, there's an enforcement issue that you will encounter or an execution error, an error in execution. And then you won't see the results that you want. I also want to comment that in any war, there's always casualties. It's unfortunate that there's human casualties in this war of good and evil. It's really an epic battle between God and Satan. Now, foundationally, foundationally is good. We should go back to the basics, right? But when we talk about good and evil, you have to have an understanding that God is love, His character is love. His nature is love. In fact, God even loves the people that you don't. Jeez, preacher, someone's got to love them. Even the people you wish ill upon, even the people that you wish would just fall off the face, God loves them too. The good news is not more than you, but he loves them. And he even loves his enemy, Satan. He doesn't like what Satan does, what Satan represents. He doesn't like how he acts. But he is love. So for him to not love would be against who he is. It's part of his nature. It's part of his character. He has to, or he has to stop being God. Now, I think Satan's beyond receiving love from God because his probation period ended when he rebelled against God with a third of the angels and got kicked out of heaven. The good news for you and I, your probation time hasn't ended yet. You know how I know that? (laughs) Smart group, you're still here. As long as you're breathing, your probation hasn't ended. But when your last breath goes back to him, 
your testing time has ended and your eternal state is forever settled. We doing okay? See, they sang some theology. Now I'm teaching you a little bit more theology here. Now, I find it super interesting that many of the great stories in human literature revolve around the principles and the truths that are found in scriptures. So let's, let's talk about some of these just briefly. I'm not going to go into all the details. I mean, C.S. Lewis wrote a series called The Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote it as an allegory about the Bible, but there's a character named Aslan. He's a lion. He's an innocent lion, but he dies on behalf of, I think it's Edward. Right? And the way Tolkien, uh, sorry, not Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis describes it in the, in the book is, you know, but there's a deeper magic that activates when someone dies for an innocent person dies in place of a guilty person, and Aslan came back to life. Boy, that sounds really familiar. What about Thor? Oh, come on, don't tell me you don't know who Thor is, especially since Chris Hemsworth's been representing him. The <laughs> the, my wife said, not an endgame. <laughs> the father sends Thor down to earth. Okay? What happens? He can't access his power. But he has to sacrifice himself for the people. When he sacrifices himself for the people, he gets resurrected, he gets his power back, he saves the people. Gandalf. He dies and gets sent back. Superman dies and gets sent back. Batman dies and gets sent back. The Matrix. I mean, Morpheus came from Zion. Gee. No biblical reference there. The Green Mile. What was it, Halo? He healed people by taking their sickness on himself? That's... that's I've heard this before. It's familiar to me. Even Harry Potter. The thing is, Jesus, the biblical account of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, is recreated in literature again and again and again. They even take different attributes of God's goodness or Jesus' character and they attribute them to some of the characters in these stories. Now, I'm not saying that the movies are good, bad. I could care less right now about that. The point is this. Do not be confused or misled. Jesus died once and for all for real. History records that. Okay? He was a real person who really lived and walked on the earth, who really died and who really resurrected from the dead. Okay? All the movies and stories are fiction along that epic theme. So there's, there's two sides to this coin. Because on one side, we think, oh, well, when I look at the... Doesn't everybody die and get resurrected? Come on, I mean, Thor did it, Superman did it, Batman did it. Why can't I? We don't want to take away from the work that Jesus did. 
and water down the message of hope, right? On the other side, when Superman Returns came out, they sent out whole syllabuses to church leaders so that they could preach messages and link allegory from the movie to their word of God. Sometimes they do it on purpose to try to illustrate what Jesus did. Either way, God made humans in his image and he gave us a choice. Okay? You have a choice. It's a very simple choice. You obey God and serve him or you don't. Theologians call it free will, the free will of man. And they debate back and forth on the free will of man and the sovereignty of God and The truth is God gave everyone freedom of choice. You have freedom of choice. You chose whether you were going to come here today or not. No one made you come. Unless maybe you're a child and your parents brought you here kicking and screaming. and Get over it. It's good for you. (laughs) You'll figure it out one day. But see, Satan slanders God's character by trying to convince you, sometimes successfully, that God does not have your best interest in mind. It's an ancient religion based on ancient principles that no longer apply in the culture that we live in today, and God just doesn't want you to have any fun. Has anyone heard that argument? This creates separation between us and the Father. It leads to disobedience, God's commands. When you disobey God's commands, that's sin. Sin separates you from his presence. When you're separated from his presence, there's no relationship. Satan wins. So let's let's throw these concepts on the table and see where it lands. Let's talk about good. Definition of good. There's there's multiple definitions. Okay? And, and, And there's... Anyway, let's go with that which is morally right at least for the context of today's conversation. Righteousness or virtuous, right, commendable, kind, benevolent. These things are good. I'm going to say that's that's a good definition of good. It's from the dictionary, so if you want to argue with it, go talk to Webster. Genesis 1, 31. Then God looked over all he made and saw that it was very good. How do you know that God made people in his image, and he made humans good. He made creation good. So when I look around, I have one thought. What happened? (laughs) What happened to us? (laughs) We'll get to evil in a minute. Psalms 107.1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. See, God is good by nature and character. I told you this, but you got to understand. It's a part, it's an attribute that is a part of who God is, and he has to be good, or he can't be God. Do you understand that? The second he stops being good, he stops being God. It's impossible for him to go against his character and his nature. And in 1 Chronicles 16, 34, give thanks to the Lord, why? For he is good. If you are believing a lie that God does not have your best interest in mind, you need to understand what the scriptures say. God is good. He is good. Now, in his goodness, he wants to draw out the best in you. 
Has anyone ever had a coach? No, for real, a good coach. I mean, does a good coach let you show up to practice late? I showed up late one time when I was playing soccer. I mean, I ran so many laps around the field, my legs were jello. <laughs> Maybe that's my problem today. <laughs> a good coach is going to what? He's going to perfect your technique. He's going to draw out the best. He's going to institute discipline in your life so that you could perform at the best possible level. How do you know this to be true? Right? God, it says, he chastens or he disciplines the ones he loves. Why? Because how many know all of us can get off course sometimes? I was trying to share first service. I don't know how good I did. Um, Along one portion of the Grand Canyon when I visited it, there was a dirt path about this wide that you could walk on at the edge of the canyon. Gravel, dirt, whatever. Okay. And then over here, there was a paved path that most of the sane people walked on. We were walking on this path, which was cool. But then being young, because we were very young men, um, we decided that whoever was in front would be best, so we would try to pass each other. And when I was going by one of my brothers, he kind of gave me a shove, and I ended up doing this <laughs> as I dug the microphone into my side. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> Now, my uncle, who had given us some verbal prompting to stop it, which we ignored, proceeded to lift me up and drag me over to the normal path. He probably did that for my benefit. I didn't necessarily like it at the time. But do, do, do you understand when, when you love someone... You speak the truth in love. Just like when we preach the word of God, we speak the truth in love. The hope is you don't feel the knife coming in until I turn it. <laughs> Someone actually said that to me. You talk in such a soft voice. And then all of a sudden you turn the knife and I was like, ow. <laughs> the word does that all by itself. But see, God loves us so much. He wants the best for us. He wants us to live a disciplined, self-controlled life. And he's going to help us do that. And when we get off course, he's going to bump us back onto the right path. But that's because he's good. But how many know when you're walking through discipline, it's always pleasant? I mean, think about it. Right? But it's good for you because it produces higher character, more good. Okay? So God is good all the time, and he is always going to act according to what is good, morally right, consistent with truth. It's part of his character. He only has good intentions towards you. So you can't believe the lie. Did I say that a couple times today? That God doesn't have your best interest in mind. 
He's not trying to, he's not trying to make your life miserable. He's trying to make your life better. Let's talk about evil. Definition of evil. Morably, morably. <laughs> Back fast forward, as my kids say. <laughs> Rewind. Morally re- reprehensible. Sinful. Wicked. Something that brings sorrow, distress, or calamity. This is evil. Question. Why does God allow evil? I'm going to start explaining it to you. Watch. Remember I said God gave us freedom of choice? That choice that you execute in your life, it's either going to produce good or evil. Because when you obey God and do as he commands, it produces good. When we disobey God and we sin, it produces evil. And how many know that we actually have the power to create good or evil as humans? We're coming to align with it. And what happens is, when we do the wrong thing, we can hurt others. How many know you've hurt someone else at some point in your journey? And my wife's going to come up, surprise, and explain this to you right now, because it just fits better right here. She had some comments at this first service, just to give you the full context, but she shared them at the end, and I feel that it fits better right here. Well, as God tends to, <laughs> the way he works with me is the Holy Spirit. I was sitting listening to Pastor RJ share the word, and the Holy Spirit just does what he does, and just said, I want you to share this. So I was, I'm being obedient. Um, and I got up and I shared a couple things I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to frame for all of us, uh, just to give us a better understanding of the good and evil. So, how many of you understand that the good and evil, they're not just nouns, they're like action words, they're verbs. Okay? And as Pastor RJ had said, when we're making choices in our lives, we put out those actions in our lives, in good or evil. And the choices that we make, they affect other people in good ways and bad ways. And the fullness, see, I don't think it fits perfectly right here because you went on to describe a couple other things that fit better with what I'm... Don't worry. Anyway. I didn't like... (laughs) Go on. Um, So the fullness of who God is and the fullness of his interpretation of what goodness is. Okay? His interpretation. So we have to get better as Christians understanding and knowing that it's but how God views things, not how we view things. And in his word, he admonishes us and says, you know, there is a day in the coming hour where good is called evil and evil is called good. So our good and our definition of good must come from his interpretation, his view, his perspective on what truly is good. Because if we're looking to the world and the world standard of good, um, that truly is evil. Okay? So... And the fullness of who God is and his goodness towards us, well, why he would allow, because bad things, really bad things, horrible things happen to really good people. Believers, us, you and me every day. So, but the goodness and the purity and the fullness 
of God's nature and who he is comes from that choice that he gave to everyone, all of creation. You have the choice to choose. You've been given the choice to choose. But on the other side of that is if you choose to do evil, if you choose the other way, that choice does affect other people. So to paint a picture for you, like in God, because he gives you the free will to choose. When, if, if God were to come and wave a magic wand and say, I'm taking care of this evil problem. I'm taking care of it. And you don't get a choice to choose anymore. That's it. You do wrong, poof, you're done. You're, you're going to fall like lightning too. And you'll be crispy. You're done. <laughs> but according to who God is, he can't do that. Because that would be going against who he is if he gave you free will. Right? because that takes away your power to choose. And if he were to allow people in heaven, would you just make everybody, you're doing what I want you to do, you're, you're forcibly going to do what I tell you. In the kingdom of heaven, there will be people who aren't fully surrendered and submitted to the kingdom of God and to the king. So out of surrender, out of your choice to give God everything. You know, how many of you have heard me say God does not use people? He doesn't use people, but he works in us to work through us. Because if God used people, that goes against his nature of giving you a free will and giving you the ability to choose. But because you, out of your own free will, and you and your choice to say, I surrender, Lord. I give it to you. I choose that you are my king and my God. You're my savior. Then that changes things. See, on the other side, in the enemy's kingdom, the devil doesn't care. He is going to steal, kill, and destroy and do whatever it takes. And he presents you with a bribe, just like he presented Jesus. If you do this for me, then I'll give you this, this, and this, and this. And he presents you with a bribe. And it's, it's under duress. It's coercion. It's deception. See, in the kingdom of God, for God to be who he is, there is never any deception. There's no duress. God just lays it out there for you and says, I want you to choose me because you love me. I want you to choose and you know full well that in this life, it is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. There is going to be suffering. But I've already taken care of it. It's already done. This isn't, this isn't, this is your only life here, but I have a life prepared for you in heaven. So that we have to remember on the other side with the enemy, he's going to do whatever it takes to, to lie to you, to deceive you. And when he wants his way, he's going to paint a picture that makes it seem like it's all good. And I, I'm for your good and I'm going to make it all work out for you. Do this for me and I'm going to like give you all these things. When it seems the wicked and the evil people in the world are prospering and things are coming together for them, it's not a truth that's, that's good in the word of God. Because God says, I make it work out for your good, Right? I work all things together for your good. But that should paint a picture for you and show us just how awesome and amazing of who the God that you serve is that despite all of that happening in the world, despite everyone's choices, despite it all, he can still orchestrate and work out his purpose in your life, in my life, in every single person's life who surrendered to him and called according to his purposes for their good. Amen? Thank you.
There's a real war happening right now between good and evil. We know Jesus defeated Satan. Good is victorious over evil. So why is the battle still raging? Why is it still going on? I don't know if you're aware, but like, let's just go back like maybe World War II. Now, I'm sure there's a few people that were alive back in 1939 to 1945. They're still alive and maybe here in the room today. But the war ended somewhere around 1945. Okay. But how many of you know there were still skirmishes and battles happening for another four months? Even though officially the war was over, there was still fighting that was happening for four months. In fact, there was one guy in the Philippines, a Japanese soldier. He was active for 29 years. Didn't know the war was over. He didn't know it ended. He was still fighting to the best of his ability. And then I saw it up until 2005, which is almost 60 years later. There was two guys that emerged from the jungle that didn't realize the war was over. Now, here's the thing. Satan's a sore loser, and he wants to keep as many people apart from God as he can by any means necessary. And we know that Jesus set a number on his days too and said, at this time, I'm going to judge you and you're going to go away. Okay. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what's right, it shows that they're righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. Whoa. If I do what's right, I can belong to God. If I do what's unrighteous, if I keep sinning, I belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. Then he says, but the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. That's us, Christians, Christ followers. Sinning should not be the habit in your life. Everyone hear me say that? You can fall down sometimes, but it shouldn't be a habitual habit in your life where you make a point to sin every day. Oh, I get lots of forgiveness and his mercies are new every morning. Yeah, but that's not how we're supposed to live. Because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. And with that, I want to jump to John chapter 8. And, and I'm going to mostly kind of go through verses 31 to 58, but I'm going to just kind of describe it to you. So Jesus is having a conversation with the religious leaders. Now, I want you to understand something here. The, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees were, always, Sadducees, were always challenging Jesus, okay, on the law. Now, now we got to think about this, though, because when Moses was on the mountaintop talking to God... Jesus was there too. And when God gave Moses the law, the Ten Commandments, and all the other 683 laws of the Old Testament, Jesus was there. In fact, he was the law giver. He understood the intent, the purpose, and the execution of the law that God gave Moses on the mountaintop thousands of years before he showed up on planet Earth. Now, fast forward... The Pharisees and the Sadducees are arguing with Jesus about the intent of the law that he gave. Except they played a giant game of telephone that spanned millenniums. <laughs> and they were off course. And he called them on it. On multiple occasions, he told them, you're missing the whole point. 
and they hated him for it. Okay, so in John 8, 31 to 58, Jesus makes a statement, okay? The truth will set you free. So they start arguing with him. Well, we've never been slaves, so what do we need to be free from? And I think about that and I go, okay, what's wrong with these guys? They rewrote history that quickly? What happened to Egypt? Don't you remember when they were slaves back in Egypt? That was the sons of Abraham who they claimed to be their father. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's 12 sons. Joseph, you know the story. Not the technicolor dream coat, just the multicolored coat. Okay. They were slaves in Egypt. Oh, we've never been slaves. And Jesus is saying, actually, they still missed the whole point of what he said. But they lied. And then he says, he goes on and says, truth brings freedom from sin. And that's through the Son of God. And if the Son of God sets you free, you're free truly, or free indeed, is the one translation. So Jesus is talking about, hey, when you understand the truth from the Son of God, I'll bring you freedom from sin. So then they start arguing with him on that. And they argue that they're children of Abraham, the father of faith. So Jesus says, well, if Abraham's your father, you're not acting like him. For instance, if you were acting like him, you wouldn't want to kill me. Because I came from God. And if you're rejecting me, you're rejecting God who sent me. See, see how this works? And then in verse 44, he makes a profound statement. He says, he's talking about their father, Satan, or the devil right? He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character for he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus called out the character of his adversary and the people that followed Satan got extremely upset about this to the point they wanted to kill him. Now, as I'm looking at this debate that they were having, the Pharisees and Sadducees were losing so horribly, they resorted to what I like to call a desperate, last-ditch, futile attempt or effort. They started calling him names. You Samaritan devil! Why is it that people who refuse to engage in intelligent conversation resort to name-calling? It's evil. When evil is losing, they can't do anything else but start calling you names. I try not to argue theology with people. But if you want to argue theology with me, I won't. But if you want to have a conversation about it, do me a favor, read the whole book first before you come talk to me. I'm serious. You can ask me questions about the Bible, but if you want to try to prove a point, read the whole thing before you come talk to me important. You get the full counsel of the Word of God before you have a conversation. Well, I heard someone talk about it. That's nice. In one generation, from God to Adam and Adam to Eve, his wife, God said, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Somehow, Adam communicated to Eve and don't even touch it. That wasn't in the initial conversation. I can see how husbands and wives can miscommunicate on things. It happens. I, I suppose it never happens to you, but it happens to me sometimes. 
There's a battle raging all around us. Everyone fights. You have to fight. And if you don't choose a side, you've already chosen a side. If you don't choose life and light and good and God, you've chosen. And you're going to eat the fruit of that. That consequence, that choice, is gonna, you're going to have to live that in your life. Stand up with me for a second. You know, there's a battle raging inside of all of us. But are you using the weapons God has given you? Are you using the tools? Are you using his word? Are you praying? I mean, we pray together corporately. That's a powerful weapon that we have against the enemy. It baffles me, mystifies me, puzzles me why more people don't come out when we have a corporate prayer night like we're going to have on Wednesday night. Or why if I mention it on a Sunday, it's a higher degree of attendance than it is when I don't mention it on a Sunday. It should be a part of who we are and what we do. Well, Wednesday nights aren't convenient. That's nice. We stream prayer. Are you going home and streaming it later and praying with us and agreeing with us? There's something to be said for God's people all praying in the same direction. But we're comfortable. We get lazy because we've got everything we need. So what do we have to rely on God for? I hate to be the bearer of this kind of news, but let me tell you something. Throughout history, when God's people get too comfortable, guess what happens? Through a series of unfortunate and unplanned events, life gets very uncomfortable for them, doesn't it? And they're forced into a situation where they have to do the very things that they should have done when they were comfortable. Dun, dun, dun. It's a time for us to take up our weapons and go to war against our enemies. Not people, Satan, in his kingdom. It's a time for the church to stand firm in the things that we believe. There's a great assault. The church as a whole has lost its voice in Canada. We don't even get invited to the table anymore to have the conversation. Shame on us. We haven't done something right to get to this place. As we come to the table today, I want you to remember there's good and there's evil, and you have to choose which part you're going to build. You're either building God's kingdom or you're building Satan's, period. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. There's not mostly good people. You're either good because Christ is in you and operating through you, or you're not. And the best of us isn't very good on our own. You might be better than me, but that doesn't make you good. Only God makes you good. People say, you're a good man. I say, well, thanks, but if I look like him, thanks. I'm trying. But it's not my own goodness that you see. It's his. It's the goodness of God that I try to live for and emulate. Father, as we come to the table today and we look at the bread that was broken to restore humanity back to that place with you of healing and wholeness. 
And Father, in your goodness, you desire every sickness removed. And you desire every disease lifted. And you desire every broken heart mended. Help us to align ourselves to receive healing. Help us to activate faith in that direction. I don't understand it all, but I know that you're good and you got a good plan and you even went to the cross and your body was broken for healing and deliverance for humans. So as we partake today of the bread, we receive healing. We receive restoration. And we thank you that the truth of your word will bring freedom to our life in Jesus' name. As we look at the cup today, the blood of the new covenant, it's because of the blood that was shed on a tree a couple thousand years ago through the king that we can actually be good. That in Christ, we can have goodness. We can have God's favor we can receive his love and take it and share it with others. Father, help us to stand up for truth. Help us to promote what is right. Just like Jesus stood up to injustice, let us stand up to injustice. Let us love others. Help us to do that more perfectly, like you love people. Help us to release forgiveness. Help us to walk in your ways. And Lord, let us be very aware of the battle that's raging all around us. And let us unify as a church. And as we move together, there's strength, there's authority, and there's power in your kingdom. Help us to use our weapons wisely on our enemy, Satan, and not on people as we purpose to build the kingdom and not tear down. We thank you for your grace today in Jesus' name. God bless you all.